I think for me, one of the reasons today felt so special is just having a team from Restored South Bay leading us in worship today and having Tom and Eb here from Restored Temecula to preach and minister. Uh, it's really, really cool. And uh, something that you guys might not know, I think we have shared this a few times from the front over the last year or so, but Restored Uptown's currently got about 45 kids and counting. I won't get into the and counting situation now, but uh, our kids' ministry is growing, which is beautiful. But when this church started, there were two, Clive Rogers, Andy and Jackie's son, and Amelia Logue. So she's sitting in the front row today. She's a lot bigger than she was when this community started. But it's just a wild thing to think of what God has done in and through this community over the years, growing it, adding new people, planting churches from this space. And uh, Shell and I got to go to Restore Temecula a few times last year and just see, and it's a beautiful community just marked by prayer and worship and an inordinate amount of kids. Um, I don't know what the stats are now, but the, the Lord has blessed them with children in a huge, huge way. And uh, Tom and Ebony are just a very special couple who deeply love God and love people so well. Uh, even now, just chatting to Tom in his presence, just so caring, thoughtful, focused in on you, loving you. And I think the way he shares today is going to point us to Jesus and encourage us as we carry on in our prayer in the Psalms series. So Tom, why don't you come up? It's an honor to have you here. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We welcome you to do and say whatever you want to do and say. And we pray you would fill and empower and use Tom this morning to speak your word to our community to strengthen, comfort, encourage, and build us up, that we would be a church that honors you and does what you would have us do. So please use him now, fill him with your peace, and empower him in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys. It's really, really good to be here, man. Uh, I'm, my family and I, like, I think the word love gets used a lot, you know, and sometimes we can water it down, but we, we just genuinely have so much love for this community. God's hand, his fingerprints is so uniquely upon Restored Uptown, uh, and we're just so, so thankful. Uh, so Annie and Jackie and the kids are on sabbatical, huh? I love that you, d well, that could be bad. <laughs> I love that you were like, yes! It's either like, yes, they're gone, no. Or, no, but, but here's one of the things I will say. I've been so encouraged because of all the reports that I've gotten is just how much you guys have supported their intentional rest and like the, the proactive work of like of, of holding back in order to, to rest, recuperate so we can push forward um, with the things of the kingdom and the advancing of God's ways, his rule, his reign on the earth. And just to see that you guys are like backing that is so encouraging. Can I just encourage you? I know that it's like, you know, maybe a third of the way through or something. Can you just be continually praying for them. Um, uh, my family and I had the privilege of being on sabbatical last summer, and uh, right around, I don't know, halfway through, we kind of panicked because we were still, like, exhausted, and we're like, this thing's halfway over. If we go back and we're still as tired as we are now, that's, that's not going to be good, and that was almost like, like anxiety kind of set in, 
Um, and thankfully, that back half of the sabbatical, God really did a, a deep work in our heart. And we got to experience some significant rest and replenishment. But the reason I say that is not to kind of shift focus onto me and away from Andy and Jackie. It's to let you know that they're going to be experiencing a lot of ups and downs of being away from you. And the re- one of the reasons they're going to experience a lot of ups and downs is because of their deep and profound love for you. It, it, uh, it's funny. I, I've been trying to kind of give Andy space and just trying to like, hey, he's on sabbatical. And he, he can't help himself. He's like reaching out and like, and it just shows, again, his deep love and care. And I know how, I know how much they love you. Not the church organizationally. That's not, I mean, like you. Like they love you. And so I just want to encourage you, will you just continue to be praying for them that God would, that he would do a, a, a deep and profound work in them in this time away. I think that would be amazing. Okay, enough of me rambling. We're going to jump in. You guys are in a series, Prayer in the Psalms. I love that. Prayer in the Psalms. Now, uh, I think that there's some watering down of what prayer is kind of in the Western church. And typically people, like when you think of prayer, what do you think about? Talk to me. I want to hear you guys this morning. What do you think about when you think of prayer? Communication with God. Absolutely. I feel like that's what most people think about is just this like talking to God thing. And hear me. Prayer is absolutely talking to God. It involves that. But it is so much more than just talking with God. Now, you're in a series, Prayer in the Psalms. Now, you guys know this, right? The Psalms are what? They're they're songs, so you can think of this, that, 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 you know, that portion of scripture in the middle of your Bible, the song, Psalms, you can think of that as like a hymnal almost. It's a, it's a song book. Now, what's crazy about that is I love your heart of, going, of talking about prayer in the Psalms. And think about that. If, if Psalms are songs, if it's a song book, it says something about the relationship between singing and prayer, does it not? If they're songs... And yet we're exploring these songs about what it can teach us and show us about prayer. There's a relationship there that's important. Now, I don't want to go too far on this tangent because it's a whole different message. But hear me. Some prayers, they ought to be sung. They ought to be sung. And I'm going to make a bold statement really quickly because I think there's something here for you guys specifically, okay? And that bold statement is something along the lines of this. The Christian life without prayer, I think we would all agree, the Christian life without prayer is an oxymoron. But hear me. Your prayer life without singing is at best incomplete. And you might be like, well, Tom, like, I don't have the greatest singing voice. That's the reason why I don't really raise my voice as much because, you know, I'm not like, if I went on American Idol, they wouldn't choose me, that kind of thing. Listen. I have a bad singing voice, the whole thing, that's why I don't sing. That's kind of like saying, I'm a bad cook, so I don't eat. Hear me, friends, hear me. Some of you, your prayer life is in the dredges right now. You're like Your prayer life's kind of suffering, and it's because you aren't singing. There's a deep relationship between prayer and singing. And the reason I say that is because the Psalms, the very portion of Scripture that we're looking to, to teach us more about prayer, they're songs, and they're not primarily songs to be read, although we read them and we study them and we should. Songs are meant to not be read. Songs are meant to be what? Let me hear you. Sung, absolutely. So I want to challenge you this morning. Before I dive into my, my scripture, I want to challenge you. If you get into a spot where you're like, my prayer life's kind of, it's kind of just 
not what it used to be or it's not what I want it to be, maybe, just maybe, it has something to do with your singing. Okay? We are, we are as much physical people as we are spiritual people. And there are spiritual realities that are connected to physical realities. And there's something about singing, friends. Again, whole other message. Here, I want you to do something with me really quick. And this, uh, this, this, I want to invite the spirit, but in this conversation around we're not just physical beings, we're spiritual beings. I want you to take one hand and I want you to put it on your chest, everybody. And then I want you to put the other hand on your belly. Take a deep breath. The Spirit of God is in you. If you're in Christ, the Spirit of God is in you. It's a miracle you're not like exploding right now. I say that because I want you to I want you to become aware right now. Good job. I want you to become aware right now of his presence within you. Not just with you, but within you if you're in Christ. And the reason why the Spirit of God can dwell within you is because you're not just a physical being, you're a spiritual being. Okay? So, this morning, here's what I want to do. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Psalm 63. That's my little rant that really has little to do with today's message, but I think it's something for some of you in the room. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Psalm 63 is where we're going to be for most of our time. Psalm 63. Now, I'm going to read this, but before I do, I know that Grant already prayed, but I want to pray too. Because I want us to not just kind of, I don't want us to miss anything that the Spirit has for us this morning. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, we come to you recognizing that you've made incredible efforts to come to us first. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, as we, as we dive into your word, I ask right now that you begin lifting veils all over the room. You, you begin to kind of like minimize the distractions, the way that our mind will wander. I pray that you'd give us spiritual insight. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you over this room right now. And God, please help me to serve. Help me to bless. I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish in the lives of the people that you love so dearly, your children. So be with us. Lead us, Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Okay, Psalm 63. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, okay? This is what the psalmist says in verse 1. God, you are my God. Eagerly I seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary. I see your strength and your glory. Verse 3, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me with rich food, my mouth, or as with rich, rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Okay, so here's what I, what I want to do. I just want to work through these five verses because there's something profound here, okay? Now, the first thing, in that f- first verse, it speaks of deep desire, okay? And we talked about it. We're not just physical beings. You are a spiritual being. He's describing, the psalmist is describing 
like a, a deep spiritual thirst and desire. Now, you can almost you can almost view it as like an appetite, like a deep spiritual appetite. Now, you know the difference between like physical appetite and spiritual appetite, right? Here's the way it works. Physical appetite is sort of like when I don't eat, I get more hungry. Okay, when you don't eat, the hungrier you become, right? Here's the thing. That's physical appetite. Spiritual appetite is the complete opposite. All right, let me break it down for you. Spiritual appetite says this. It says, the more you eat something, the hungrier you get. Okay, so this is kind of like how addiction works, right? Uh, I have several friends that have struggled with addiction in different seasons of their life. Some drugs, some alcohol, some other things that you can use your imagination for and with. And, and here's the thing. Every single one of them, they've spoken around this idea of addiction and that it's, it, it operates way more like a spiritual appetite and way less like a physical appetite. Yes, there's a craving for it, but here's what I mean. The more you feed the appetite, the more it grows. Think about it. And we can, we can, you know, maybe in the room you don't struggle with substance or you don't struggle with some of these more taboo addictions. But here's one of the things that I'm convinced of. Probably just statistically, the majority of the room, you're addicted to the dopamine rush you get when you touch your phone. I, I saw this uh, stat recently. It says the average American person touches their cell phone, guess how many times a day? 2,600 Dude, that's not, that's, this is, I'm not the, this is what the Google said, okay? But here's what's crazy about it. I was like, that's got to be a typo. So I went to other, I went down the rabbit trail, and no, it's like right around 2,600 times every single day. Now, the only thing, the only explanation I have for this is that we're addicted to that little dopamine rush that happens in our brain when we scroll, when we click, when we tap, when we open our phones, the more you feed the appetite, the more that appetite grows. That's the way spiritual appetite works, okay? It's different than physical appetite. Our appetite for something increases the more we give ourselves over to it. Can I ask you a question, friend? What do you give yourself to? Take a moment, man. Take a moment. What do you give yourself over to? Um, <clears throat> it's funny. Every How many parents in the room? Can I show your hands? Quite a few of you. All right, you've either already dealt with this or you're going to deal with this. And it's, this, it's when your child comes to you and they, they don't want chicken for dinner. You've spent time making the chicken. They don't want the chicken. What they want is they want the cake. They want ice cream. They want the popsicle, right? Now, Daddy, why can't I have a popsicle for, for dinner? Why can't I have the cake for dinner? And what's the reason they can't have the popsicle or the cake for dinner? I can't hear. Talk to me. It's not good for them, and it's not going to satisfy them, yes, and it's going to spoil their dinner. They're going to have no room in their tummy left over for the good stuff, right, for the nutritious stuff. It spoils your appetite. Hear me, friend. Some of you in the room this morning, you recognize, you're like, I don't really have that much of an appetite for God. Or I've had, I've had a, a deeper, a stronger appetite for God in different seasons of my life. Like, I just, I'm not that hungry for God. And the reason 
the reason that you're experiencing is that, that is because you've been feeding yourself other things. Spiritual junk food, if you will. Netflix. Uh, not that it's bad. But I feel like a deep desire inside of me for satisfaction and so I'm going to go to entertainment or I'm going to go to fitness or I'm going to go to like the next thing to buy. I'm going to go to Amazon. I'm going to go to prime shipping. I'm going to go to whatever, the next trip. I got to get out of town. I got to plan the next vacation time away, whatever it is. And the reason we do that is because we've lost sight of the way that spiritual appetites work. Can I just ask you, like, let's just be real this morning. What do you give yourself to? And hear me. Is there any room left over for God? Or is your spiritual appetite just like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't really want him. I want to want him, which is great, by the way. No guilt or condemnation in the room right now. We're gospel people, right? So there's no room for guilt and condemnation. We can talk honestly and openly about these things without the like, oh gosh, what was me? But the first step to the freedom of the gospel is identifying where you're actually at. It's getting a pulse on things. What do you give yourself to? Now, I want you to notice what happens here with the psalmist, the person who wrote this song that's filled with prayer. The psalmist seeks what? Look at verse one. Eagerly I seek who? So, okay, wait. So the psalmist he, he's got this deep appetite, and he's seeking who? God, okay, he's got this thirst, this like, oh, I need it. I can't live without it. For who? For God, yes, come on, talk to me. His desire is for who? There we go. Friend, what do you desire? Like, do you even know? Or are you just plowing through life so busy, so busy just feeding yourself with all these different things that you don't even realize what's actually going on deep inside of you? A jet just took off in the back of the room. Is that a refrigerator? Is that what that is? Okay. Can you, get, can you guys hear me okay? That was alarming up here. <laughs> so hear me, like, but for real, like, what do you desire? Do you even know, like, what the real root desire in your heart even is? Thank God for this psalm because, verse 2, it gives us a, a clue as to how you know, how you can identify what you desire. What does he say? He says, so, he talks about this deep spiritual appetite, and he says, what, in verse 2? So I gaze. So I gaze. Okay, verse 2 talks about this gazing. And what's he gazing on? Yeah, but what specifically? God's strength and God's glory. God's strength and God's glory. This is the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible Translation. Probably my favorite translation for some things. We pre I typically preach out of this. I love it. This is one element where I'm like, I think the ESV gets it better. And not because it translated it more accurately, but because of the word choice. The ESV, the CSB says gaze and see, right? I gaze on you in the sanctuary and see your strength. The ESV uses the word behold. Now listen, our desire, your desire is directly related to your beholding. 
Do you know what beholding is? Do you know what it means to behold? To behold is to pay attention. Undivided attention, right? And we use that language, pay attention, all the time. And the reason we use that word pay when we, how we utilize our attention is because our attention is incredibly valuable. Uh, again, Googling some fun facts. Uh, just in 2020 alone, $674 billion, that's nine zeros, okay? $674 billion was spent on advertising just in our country. And what's interesting is all the graphs about advertising and how much money is budgeted for that in different spheres and things, it's increasing every single year. And just because I'm a dork, I was like, I wonder how much, wh- what could you do with $674 billion? Here's what you could do with $674 billion. That would be enough to buy the average house in the United States for two million of your closest friends. Guys, listen. Do you have any idea how valuable your attention is? Corporations do. That's why they spend $674 billion, with a B, billion dollars each year, and it's growing. Do you have any idea how valuable your attention is? Your attention is something you pay. It's a form of currency. Your attention is the currency you use to acquire your desires. In other words, if you want to know what you truly desire, look at what you give your attention to. Go ahead, let's let's just assess your life. No judgment, man. You know like a pie chart? Go ahead and pie chart your life. What you give your attention to. Your desires directly related to your beholding. Now listen, the psalmist, he has this deep spiritual thirst, right? This deep desire within him. And what does he do? He gives himself over to beholding God. And then something begins to happen. Look at the next verse. We just read it. Verse 3 and 4, what happens? Cliffhanger. There we go. Verse 3 and 4. What does he do? I don't know if it's choppy, but I'm just going to tell you. Cliffhanger's over. Praise and worship. He gives himself over to praise and worship, and he can't help it. I don't know if you know this, guys, but humans, we can't help but praise glorious and wonderful things. Like, it's, it's, it's innate in who we are. You're already an expert Raising and ascribing ultimate worth to glorious, wonderful, beautiful things. You can't help it. The new restaurant that opened down the street. Oh my goodness, have you tried the steak and fritz there? The baked potato there is like nothing I've ever had and they help you eat it like a taco. Oh my goodness, have you had it? Did you see the new Did you see the new Top Gun? Like sequels are usually terrible. That one was outstanding, minus Tom Cruise. I'm just joking. Look at people. I'm just joking. He did a great job. 
Here's the here's the not to throw shade on Tom Cruise, but he still looks like he's 35, and it's impossible to do that. But like whenever we see these things that are like, oh, did you see? It was so good. You can't help but praise it. It just comes out of you. It's so funny, like, uh, our gospel communities in the church, one of the things that started to kind of spread like wildfire among our gospel communities is a deep and profound love and appreciation for Hawaii. And I'll be honest with you. Yeah, give it to me. Yes, absolutely. I'm partly to blame for that. Have you, has anybody ever been to Hawaii? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's, it looks like the gospel's spreading. <laughs> Uh, no, but hear me. Like, it's so funny because if you've been, you get off the plane and you're like, oh, the vibe is just like mellow and cool. And like, oh, you want to hand me raw fish that tastes delicious? Yes. Like the beaches, the the food, the people, the whole thing, the beauty. It's so funny to hear like different people in different gospel communities talk about it, like, oh, my God, Kauai's the best island. No, Maui's the best island. Oh, the big island's got all the volcanoes. And you just hear these like they can't help it. And I, I've stumbled, the reason I bring this up is because I've stumbled on these conversations more than a few times. And it's because we can't help it. We're, we're experts at praising wonderful and glorious things. You parents in the room, your kid does something cute. You can't wait for your spouse to get home so you can tell them what just happened. Or your friends or your gospel community or you maybe have nieces and nephews or whatever. And like, oh, my God, they, they actually said the word the. It's incredible. Like, whatever it is, like, we can't help it. You can't help but praise glorious and beautiful things, friends. You're an expert at it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at this psalm and I want you to consider the progression here. Right? See, it starts with this deep spiritual hurt, thirst, this deep this desire within, right? He, he recognizes a deep spiritual appetite, and then what's he do? He feeds that appetite how? By beholding God, right? By, by giving God his attention instead of a screen or whatever. And then the beholding starts. Like, he, he actually sees God accurately and clearly. And the result is praise and worship. He, he can't help it. Because we're experts. We have to praise good and glorious and wonderful things. And then, so after this natural reaction of praise and worship, as a result of beholding God, seeing him accurately, what happens? What's the outcome? Look at verse 5. What is it? Satisfaction. Honest question. Maybe this is like philosophy class stuff, but listen. Honest question. Can you think of anything better in life than being satisfied? I'll wait. I can't. Can you think of anything better than experiencing satisfaction. I'd argue that's your chief desire in life. That's what drives you more than anything else is to experience satisfaction. I'd bet you it's why you do the vast majority of things that you do. 
and it's not bad. You're created to operate that way. Friends, this psalm, these first five, vi- these first five verses of this psalm, it is a master class. It is a master class on how to experience satisfaction. And what's the catalyst? Who said it? Beholding. Yes, you see it. You get it. That's the catalyst, friends. Listen to me. This, is, this, changes, this changed my life. The catalyst to experiencing satisfaction is what? Beholding who? Beholding God. Beholding God is the catalyst to satisfaction. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you beheld him? I'm not asking you when was the last time you read your Bible, although that's just wonderful. When was the last time you beheld him? When was the last time you gave him your undivided attention? When was the last time you actually saw him clearly, accurately? When was the last time you encountered his glory? Friends, hear me. Beholding God is the catalyst for experiencing satisfaction. This concept of of beholding God, like I said, it's changed my life. Not just because it brings satisfaction, but because of what else it brings. Flip your Bible over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, one verse. Restored Temecula has been in this one verse that I'm about to read you for months now. We haven't moved on from one verse. Yeah, because there's so much gold to be, gold to be mined here, we haven't moved on yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I'm going to read it in the ESV. Do you guys have the ESV up for it? No? CSV? Okay, I'm just going to read it. Listen out. Yeah. This is, again, where I think the ESV does it. It's not a better translation, just the, they, they use the proper word. This is what it says. The Apostle Paul writing to Christians in the city of Corinth. And we all with unveiled veiled face, this is what the ESV says, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Beholding God leads to tr- being transformed more into his likeness. Okay? Paul's teaching something absolutely life-changing here, something super profound. What he's, t- what he's basically saying is you become like what you behold. You become like what you behold. Guys, listen. That's the whole point of discipleship, is it not? The, the, the whole point of discipleship is to become more like who? Like Jesus. We're disciples of who? Say his name. Jesus. We're disciples of Jesus. Disciples are people who are learning, right? Learning to enjoy Jesus and obey Jesus and operate like Jesus in every single area of life. Nothing's off limits because he's Lord. We want to become like him. It's the whole point of discipleship. And when I say become like him, I'm not saying like in the sense of of you being divine. No. I I actually really appreciate Dallas Willard's language. He says, says, what would Jesus do if he was you? 
what would Jesus do if he was you? Becoming like him. That's the whole point of discipleship to Jesus, is to become like Jesus. You want to know what the Apostle Paul's entire discipleship strategy is? Behold him. Look at him. Give him your undivided attention, because if you do, you become like what you behold. Do whatever you got to do. I don't care what it is. Do whatever you have to do to see him clearly, because if you behold him, you'll become like him. You with me? You become like what you behold. Guys, smart, smart business owners, they know this. They know that what the Bible teaches is true. You become like what you behold. I grew up, I grew up in the golden era of sports marketing. Okay, Michael Jordan. You, you've seen all the commercials, right? I want to be like Mike, like Mike. If I could be like Mike, right? You've seen these, hopefully. If, if some of you got, maybe I'm dating myself here. But there, there was the golden era of sports marketing, right? And you'd watch the commercial. I want to be like Mike. Why? Because he's a winner. He's the GOAT. He's his gl- there's glory there. And you can't help but praise glorious things. Michael Jordan, he's the winner. He's got glory, right? If I could be like Mike. And what happens is, is that if you flood the airwaves, behold him. Behold Michael Jordan in all of his glory. Look, he's a winner. Championships and fashion and all the different things. And I like Mike. Don't get me wrong. But listen, if you behold MJ in all of his glory, you will desire to be like him. You will desire to be like him. That means you will buy Gatorade and you will buy Nikes. It's funny because it's true. Billions of dollars. Um, maybe this has moved on, but it certainly was a thing a few years ago. I'm not going to say an entire generation because that's, that's hyperbolic, but so many young ladies beholding the Kardashians. All the TV shows, all the social media stuff, and what happens? They dress like them. They talk like them. They act like them. They buy the products that they endorse. Why? Because because you become like what you behold. Can I just caution you? Be very careful what you give your attention to. Be very careful. Be very intentional. Be very wise with what you give your attention to because you become like what you behold. It's not just a secular reality. The Apostle Paul, it's, it, Paul it's, it's Paul's entire discipleship strategy. And listen, I have a little bit of time. We see this happen all over the Bible. Can I just share one fun, cool observation with you? Is that cool? I see you. <coughs> Thank you. All right, Matthew chapter 14. Flip there. I will be back in the CSB. It is superior in this translation. Matthew 14, verse 22, a story that most of you have heard many, many times. Let me set the stage, right? Jesus just got done miraculously feeding 5,000 or more people, 5,000 men, right? So he just miraculously feeds all these people, and then we pick it up here in verse 22. He, immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat 
and go ahead of him to the other side. He's going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? So get the picture in your mind. Use your imagination. Okay? Jesus got, just got done doing this miracle. He just, they're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He tells his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds. Verse 23. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. You should underline that in your Bible. Storm, opposition, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Verse 25, Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. Okay, listen, we've talked about this. Uh, If you're a Christian, you've talked about this forever. But like, listen, Jesus is walking on water. That's crazy. Okay? It's happening. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, how do we know it's crazy? Because this is what they do. They're terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them. Listen to what Jesus says. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And I love what happens next. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And what does Jesus say? Come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Whoa. Verse 30. But when Peter saw the strength of the wind, Underline that, saw the strength of the wind. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Friends, why did Peter doubt? He stopped looking at Jesus. He took his eyes off of Jesus. The beholding, there was a transfer in the beholding. He stopped paying attention to Jesus. He stopped beholding Jesus. And verse 30 says, but when he saw, when he beheld the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And then what happened to him? He began to sink. Guys, listen. When Peter's attention was on Jesus, he became like Jesus to the point where he walked on the water like Jesus. That's crazy. But when his attention, when it drifted towards the storm, he sank. Listen to me. Listen to me. Looking at Jesus leads to looking like Jesus. You become like what you behold. Parents in the room, please hear me. Your kids will become like what they behold. And so will you and so will I. If you want to be like a fortune teller, you want to be a prophet and see the future, just look at what you're beholding now. Look at what you're paying attention to now. You're just sowing seeds that you will reap. 
And guys, here's the thing. We're always being formed. There isn't a moment in your life where formation isn't taking place. We're always being formed into something. Formation's always happening. We're either being formed more into the likeness of Jesus or we're being deformed in the likeness of an ungodly culture around us. It's binary. It's either or. What's the determining factor? Whatever you behold. Beholding is the point of everything we do, guys. The point of this gathering right now. It's not entertainment, partially because I'm not entertaining. (laughs) Everything we do, the goal is to behold him. The prayer meeting tonight, the goal, to behold him. Sunday worship gathering, behold him. Serving, to behold him. Praying, to behold him. Community in gospel community, like life together in gospel community, to behold him. All of it's to behold him. Because if we behold him, we will become like him. Okay. Can I call the band up? Will you guys come and just kind of minister to us? Will you guys play some music behind me to kind of help set a spiritual tone? It's not manipulation. It's actually a form of praise. To utilize the gift of music in order to minimize the spiritual distractions of the enemy coming at us all the time. So, the series that you're in, that you're journeying all summer, I'm assuming it's all summer, right, Grant? Grant? I corrected myself. Prayer in the Psalms. Psalm 63, it's a master class on prayer that leads to experiencing satisfaction. If you find yourself dissatisfied in life, can I encourage you, flip over, flip over to Psalm 63. And just take the master class one more time. Take that master class as many times as you need to. And here's the thing. What's the catalyst for that satisfaction? Let me hear you. Beholding him. Seeing him accurately. Do whatever you got to do. Beholding God is the catalyst to experiencing satisfaction. But beholding God doesn't just lead to satisfaction. It leads to transformation. Because you become like what you behold. So I want you to see the immeasurable value in you utilizing your time, giving, giving yourself over to beholding God and what the outcome of that can be. You become like what you behold. Do me a favor. Stand with me if you're able. All right, here, here's what I want us to do. I want, uh, unless you got like little babes, I want you to close your eyes. And this is not to be overly spiritual. This is to minimize distractions. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to behold Jesus.
Colossians says he's the image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Close your eyes and behold him. The author and the perfecter of your faith. The one who willingly laid his life down for you. The one who chose you. The one who selected you. While you were yet sinner, Christ died for you. The one who lived perfectly in your place, the life that you never could. The one who willingly laid that life down on your behalf, a sacrifice, holy, pleasing, once and for all. Look at him. The one who never leaves you, never forsakes you, always good. Don't stop. Some of you, I think it's more than one. One of you, uh, some of you, you've been struggling because God's been promising things to you or he has promised things to you. You thought he promised things to you that haven't come to fruition yet and it's causing you to doubt that he's a promise keeper. Promises regarding family. your future. Look at him. Never once has he been unfaithful to a promise. Some of you know exactly what I've been talking about when it comes to spiritual appetites because you're battling addiction right now. You're in the middle of it right now. You know It's like, man, the more I feed this thing, the hungrier it gets. God wants you to know you were created to feast on him. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the living water. So here's what we're going to do. They're going to lead us in a time of responding with praise But if you're here and you recognize like a deeper spiritual thirst than when you walked in, if you recognize like there's a deeper desire for more of God, I want you to do something. I want you to come over to this corner right now so I can pray for you. I'm going to wait 10 seconds, 15, 20 seconds, and then I'm going to go over here and start ministering. I'd love to pray for you. Wonderful. Holy Spirit, We desire you. We desire you. Show us Jesus. Increase our revelation of Jesus.
Increase our knowledge of Jesus. Not head knowledge, not knowing things about knowledge in the sense of intimacy. Adam knew Eve, and she bore a son. Let us know you, Jesus, that you might birth things through us. Beautiful kingdom fruit, deep, profound, lasting satisfaction, and unbelievable transformation more and more into your likeness. Holy Spirit, all over the room, lift the veils. Show us the glory of Jesus. And let us be men and women who respond with faith, with trust, and receive, receive the grace that you have for us. We love you, Jesus. Praise him.